0: Thank you for tuning in. We had a great and informative, if not a bit of a scary discussion today with Dale Crowe, Vice President at Risk Strategies. Dale is a professional liability attorney who now focuses on helping AEC firms manage risk. Cyber threats and security is our focus today, and we talk specifically about cyber extortion and social engineering trends, why protecting privacy is as important as protecting data why you need a breach coach, and what's involved with designing an incident response plan. A cyber breach is something that everyone in your firm can be affected by and one that everyone has a role in helping to protect against. And as Dale points out, experts profess that it's likely not a matter of if, but of when you'll be exposed to a cyber breach. I do want to point out that there are some internet hiccups in the recording, but stick with it. You and your firm will be glad you did.
1: the host of aec leadership today is pete atherton a professional engineer and former aec principal and owner turned aec coach and consultant and now take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome peter atherton
0: hello everyone and welcome to another great episode of aec leadership today today we'll be speaking with dale Crow an attorney and insurance professional serving the AEC industry, and we'll be talking about cyber risks, liabilities, and our protections for them. Welcome to the podcast, Dale. Thanks, Pete.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, great. Well, I, I, I met Dale, and I heard him speak at a recent engineers conference, and I learned several new things and got a little scared, too. Uh, But before we begin and get into this, um, could you share a little bit about yourself, Dale, and your career to date and what you do to serve AEC firms and leaders? Sure, absolutely. Um,
2: So I I jokingly say that I'm a recovering attorney. Uh, I spent about a decade uh, litigating professional liability claims against architectural and engineering firms. Um, That was based out of Nashville, where, where, where I live and where I'm, I'm located now. Um, so after doing that for just short of a decade, uh, I took took a jump and and ended up in the insurance world, uh, focused working for a, a national brokerage called Risk Strategies that that certainly has a uh, a large specialty practice focused on again architectural en- engineering firms, um, and so you know. Unfortunately, in my prior life, uh, the time I typically was involved in assisting uh, an AE, um, you know, something had already badly gone wrong because they, they needed an attorney to, uh, to defend usually a, a lawsuit or a claim that had been made against them. And now I'm, I'm fortunate because I get to use those years of experience and seeing how those claims arise, how they, you know, how they, how they go, what happens, Uh, I get to use that experience to sort of preemptively try to prevent uh, some of those things. Not everything, unfortunately, is preventable, uh, but get to spend a large part of my time counseling architecture and engineering firms on how to manage risk, how to insure risk. That's a big part of what we do is the broking, but uh, but even more than that, how to manage the risk that, that can't always be transferred to an insurance company.
0: So along those lines, cyber risks it is a big topic of discussion today, um, and there's all kinds of risks out there. I mean, what, what should we be worried about today in terms of cyber risk?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the AE world is, is no different than the rest of the world. I think every, every company is, is dealing with this threat, this privacy, breach of privacy threat, whether it be um, through a, a hack of sorts, uh, an employee mistake, um, all kinds of ways that, that private information of, of AEs and all companies is being compromised and, and what the legal ramifications are. Um, you know, we see uh, an incredible number of these breach events each year. The you, you see, you know, the public at large sees many of the very large ones that that affect public companies and retail and, and things of that nature, um, but I see many more that are you know far smaller uh, in, in generally in dollars and scope. Um, but but the, the everyday you know one million dollar engineering firm is dealing with this, and frankly, a firm like that 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 all the horsepower uh, of people and uh, not even the high dollar sophisticated. Um, it's a real threat to productivity, to uh, profitability. Um, you know, when a, when a smaller firm is, quote unquote, you know, shut down for some period of time because a, a ransomware event, for example, I think we'll probably talk about the types of breaches. Certainly, Ransomware is one of the recurring ones. Uh, think of it as, you know, cyber extortion. It has different names, but Cryptolock. And there's been a hundred different new ones since cryptolock, but that, that kind of thing, it can really, um, it shuts down a small firm altogether.
0: Well, what, let, let's break that down. I mean, what, what are these breaches? I mean, because you do hear about them, um, but, but what are the trends that are out there and, and what, where are firms most susceptible? And, and what does it look like when they get breached?
2: yeah so so I, meant, I mentioned cyber extortion, and I'll just start with that, cyber extortion ransomware because in terms of numbers of issues that, that's what we see uh, more often. And you know these um, these bad actors, if you will, often now are not requiring or requesting, demanding, I guess I should say, uh, large sums. They're, they're seeking to recover an amount that the firm will think to themselves it's far better for me to just pay this amount and move on than it is to to try to uh, deal with you know the exposure of possibly this bad actor uh, destroying my information so cyber extortion is a big one um, social engineering, which has become a big buzzword in our industry um, certainly has been uh, problematic for for several of our firms uh, and this is the sort of thing where uh, an imposter um, you know, looking to be someone they're not to trick the firm into wiring money, generally speaking. Wiring will you wire X number of dollars to this account? And the way they've sent the email, it looks like it's coming from the CFO of the firm, for example, or or from someone you know in the firm that, that, that might be typically making that kind of request. Um, so certainly we see th- those sorts of things. Um, it's not so
0: you so you've actually seen Okay, well, let's talk about both of these cyber sure. extortion. So, you've actually seen claims where um, someone has come in and asked for, I don't know what the number is, five grand, ten grand, a hundred grand, and it's some bad player saying, I have all your files, give me this, and then I'll give you them back. I, it, it, I mean, is that what it looks like? And, and have you right. actually well- seen that? That's right. We 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 want you know x number of Bitcoin
2: within forty eight hours, or we destroy your data. Um, and yes, that that we we see that exact scenario um, with some frequency. Um, and and then there's an immediate decision that needs to be made. You know what 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 do we do? And I know we'll talk about the insurance later, but um, part of the insurance is having having someone to call uh, to help you through that that um, ordeal, because as you might imagine, it's a, it's, it's a very disturbing, it's a very disturbing scenario.
0: It, it's disturbing. And then there's probably like, I don't know, do you got to call the FBI afterwards? I mean, that, let's just kind of run this to ground. So this happens, you get a request for Bitcoin. I mean, what, what, what do you do? And then who do you have to call? Well, if,
2: if, um, if you're a client of ours, and, and I've, I guess, sufficiently explained to you how scary this stuff is, and you have uh, insurance policy, there's a 1-800 number that triggers a team of people, uh, forensic people, to help you sort of evaluate the technical side of the breach. Uh, what What does it look like? Information has been exposed. I mean, because sometimes... Um, you know, sometimes it, it, they think they have it and they don't. So, you know, do they actually have our information? What information has been backed up? What is what is not? What's been exposed? Um, and then, you know, you have an interesting point about obligations to notify authorities. Uh, another, you know, another uh, very important part of this breach response team are the breach coaches, which are attorneys that understand the various state and federal laws that are applying to these privacy incidents that counsel the firm on do they have some obligation to report to a certain authority or to potentially affected individuals. Um, And so this team works in concert together to to advise the firm and counsel them on on how how to deal with this. And believe it or not, um, sometimes the decision is made for uh, the, the insurer to assist the insured firm in purchasing the Bitcoin and transferring. Um, it that, that is a that is a hard thing to believe but but the insurance companies have have done that on occasion when when needed so that that's the good part about this is is that if you have a that'd um, like to talk a little later about a sort of a, um, an incident response plan but if you have a plan and you know what to do um, you really have a suite of services available to you to help you deal with with an incident like that
0: but even if, if you had that and say you're pretty sophisticated from an IT world and you know, every half an hour, we have our full system backed up or, or whatever the case is. And you feel like, okay, even if we're exposed and they have our material, we can be up and running and we didn't really, so we're going to ignore this. I, I don't know that it's advisable or whatever, but say I have my data, I have it fairly recently. I'm going to move forward and maybe look at maybe protecting my system a little bit more, but do you still, I mean, you mentioned in the beginning a breach of privacy. I mean, if there's client data, I mean, do you still have to report that? And it's not just about having backup systems and protecting yourself, but you actually have to protect like your clients and your employees' identification that might have been lost?
2: Absolutely.
0: Uh, and, and that's
2: something we, we run into with, with some frequency as well. A firm will have an event and the, the IT uh, department of that firm Will be rather certain that they've secured the data, the data is backed up, and, and they they think they can get right back online and, and begin working. And there's not going to be a big productivity hit. Um, unfortunately, you know that's when sometimes I have to say that the reason we have these breach coaches are because the state laws are different in in every state. They're, they're not, you know, a lot, there's a lot of similarity state to state, but there are there are different in many ways. And just by way of anecdotal. Example: you know, A certain amount of information that was accessed for an individual might be considered a breach requiring notification in California. Just by way of a random example, in Tennessee it's not. Um, and so, what these breach coach attorneys do is help the firm understand: um, Yes, now you may have kept your data, which is great, and your productivity will, will not be, um, you know, hampered, and, and you're good to go back doing your business. But we need to notify the, you know, 300 potentially affected individuals that live in these number of states because um, the fine the penalties for not notifying um, people is, is, you know, they can be quite severe. And while we don't run into this very often with the AEs, uh, they're federal regulations too as well. So um, these, these attorneys are there to help you figure out what what obligations do you have because you know, again, you might have saved the data, but you do have legal obligations to provide notice. And in many states, under certain circumstances, to provide uh, credit monitoring. And I'm talking about former employees and any people, you know, people's information that you have might have on your system that's been accessed.
0: And this is a big deal. I mean, I'm just a couple of years away from being like a major principal and owner in a firm and I don't remember us talking about this at a board level and I know there were many owners in the audience who were kind of looking around saying really I did wasn't aware of all this I I really kind of focused on the IT parts and the backup so this is definitely I think for a lot of people Interesting information and something we probably need to act on. But you also mentioned another one of these breaches um, and trends, the social engineering. So someone goes in the system and pretends they're the whatever the executive vice president and says, Hey, CFO, wire me, wire this client uh 10,000 bucks for whatever. And like how how does that look real? And and again, you see that happening today?
2: Yes, uh, it, we, we do see that. Um, and it's exactly as, as you say. It's, you know, it, from, from the outside, just, just at a quick glance, it's the CFO receiving a, an email request from the CEO to wire a third party, you know, $50,000 uh, right away. Please, please do that. And we'll talk about it when I'm back in the office. Um, and, and a lot of times it's being done by bad actor um, that's been monitoring email traffic guys are great they can if they they know how you email they know the way you might phrase something um and they can really parrot it to sort of look like what you know so a quick glance from your phone or you know in this day and age everybody's moving 100 miles an hour you glance at your phone the cfo it looks like a typical email from your ceo and yet you have something done and then you find out oh that you know that that wasn't the ceo um and so yes we we do see this happening you know, social engineering, while it is a, a big, um, it is a big threat, and we, that social engineering part can really be um, controlled by simple verbal confirmation, right? Cut the verbal controls, calling on the phone and having, making sure that, you know, that, that was from your CEO. That seems a little odd, you know, Mr and uh, is that really an email? you know are you really asking me to do this and that right there alone can prevent a lot of it um, but you know in this day and age where we all communicate on devices and we don't have the face to face even within companies you know within the same company uh, we certainly see that and and I would just warn firms that that are worried about that exposure uh, to not automatically think that if they have a cyber insurance program that that risk is covered because we think of social engineering far more as a crime coverage. Um, and, and I know we'll talk about insurance later, but, but that, that, that is you know, being able to recover the X number of thousands of dollars that you forwarded to a um, criminal, that, that, the bulk of that coverage is quite often found in crime rather than cyber, it's certainly related.
0: Right. So, I mean, we talked about the cyber extortion and the social engineering. Are there any other types of breaches and, and trends that that you see that affect AEC firms?
2: Uh, you know, th- those are the big ones: B- business email compromise. Um, there, there are the occasional rogue employee. You know, don't nobody likes to think about that. Um, but we have seen cases where. Where there was a rogue employee who was a, you know, within the organization that, that's a bad actor. Um, I had an experience not too long ago where we where we simply just lost a, a device, we lost a laptop. That uh, laptop did not have the proper encryption, or at least we weren't certain it did. Um, and it maintained a lot of client data. Um, and it was just a you know left at a, a cafe type situation. And when we went back to get it, it's gone. Um, that, that sort of thing is, is by the numbers not happening as much, but, but it certainly does, does happen. So um, yeah, I'd say that those that we've discussed are, are the, the lion's share of the types of things we see.
0: Right, and even if you get the laptop back or you write it off 2,500 bucks, lost the laptop, it's still a breach of privacy issue that then triggers a whole nother bunch of actions. So- sure, sure,
2: and we've seen with the business email compromise. Another thing we've seen is where um, a bad actor is able to infiltrate a, an email um, system, a you know, server, and, and we've seen invoices, right? Actually, the invoice wire data, the wire information on invoices manipulated. So where when the invoice goes out, the the wiring instruction is not to the firm, it's to another account. Um, So that's another thing we've seen.
0: Right. So are are there any particular type or size of firms that may be more exposed than others?
2: You know, there's really... I I can't say with any certainty that there are, um, you know, you, you think of healthcare, for example, as being one of the, um, by far and away, the most attacked segments, industry segments. Uh, so you would think that if you had a design firm that was doing a lot of healthcare projects, that they might be more, um, you know, might be a more likely, and while I believe that to be true, I actually don't have any data to support it. It just seems like, you know, Firms that are doing big transportation uh, infrastructure type services projects, uh, healthcare, higher education, those are the sorts of things. I think our firms by and large um, are they're not always the target; they're quite often the conduit to the eventual target. Um, you know, you're doing you're you're providing uh, professional service. You know, very complex, sophisticated, large—let's say, financial services or healthcare entity. Um, that bigger entity is perceived anyway to have more sophisticated, high-dollar protection, more systems, more people. You know, watching the clocks, so to speak. Um, and and so, I think the bad actors feel like if we can, we can get in to the design firm who has, you know, who is going um, doing work for this healthcare, let's just keep using healthcare entity, um, then maybe we can use them as a way to access the healthcare, uh, the larger attack, so to speak, which is you know, pretty much exactly what happened in the infamous target attack. Um, I mean, it's exactly using a mechanical contractor to get to a larger target. So that, that's, that's what I see more often than not. But, but back to your original question, we, we have seen firms both large and small have these these attacks? And typically, the larger firms are more equipped to to have the data uh, saved, um, but you know, but they're they're still they're still susceptible to attack. And it's it's a reason that a lot of our firms are are really relying on their employees as the front line and doing a lot of training to try to uh, make sure their employees understand that you know you're, you the weakest link is is going to
0: be could be the the way in
2: for these bad.
0: And that, that way in through receiving an email and clicking on a link and that type of thing.
2: Right. Like hovering, you've heard about hovering up right. the, the link, those sorts of things. Um, we, we have fir- firms that um, hire consultants to send out emails to their employees to see who they can get to click and who, who doesn't click um, because, you know, and that may that may create a certain amount of angst within the company, but, but you know, th- this is serious, serious business and I think our companies have a right uh, to want their employees to be, you know, in tune with this, um, and to know that that one wrong click, and you know, and you could let somebody in. I mean, my own company we're we're almost a five hundred million dollar organization. I we get warned about it by our people all the time. I think you know we're we're under attack just like everybody else.
0: Right. So I mean, so there's definitely best practices that can come from you know. Uh, Insurance coverage and you know good best tips that way. I mean, what what are I mean, what what are some of the basic? I mean, we've talked about some of the good practices, but how are firms protecting themselves today?
2: Well, so I touched on it just a second ago, and and that's that's again, I, it bears repeating. Employee training it is a big part of it. So, uh, a lot of our larger firms that that are focused on this exposure will do. Tabletop exercises, penetration testing by outside consultants to their system, the spoof emails that I mentioned to try to get their people in tune with with the hovering above the link and really not clicking on um, not clicking on a link that you that you're not confident in. Uh, many firms have big notices automatically if an email comes in from outside your system, the warning the employee, you know, this is an email from an external. Make sure you Make sure you trust this link. Um, I know my own company, if, 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 I do a, if I download something in an email, we have the software that's checking that before, it's even, before I'm even able to, um, to download it to my system. Multi-factor authentication for passwords and things like that, where it's, uh, you know, you need more than just one type of password to, to log into a system. Uh, I talked about the invoices that have been manipulated. Um, there are certainly times when verification of significant invoices should be considered and, and protocols for a, you know, if an invoice is this much or above. We, we do a verbal confirmation or we do some type of other type of confirmation. Um, and then maybe most important of all is simply because, you know, the unfortunate reality, Pete, is I don't think anyone's immune. Um, and, and I've done presentations for large A and E groups in conjunction with the forensic type people who handle these breaches, and and I've been there standing, you know, shoulder to shoulder with them when they have said to a large room of let's say CFOs of A C E C firms that it's it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, and these people have been in your system already. Maybe they didn't do anything. Maybe they left, you know, a, a cracker to come back for later. Um, and you talk about being scared. I mean, that, that, because I have no reason, I have no reason to believe that they are not 100% positive about that or 100% correct about that. Um, and so having a response plan, uh, knowing exactly what the firm will do if and when um, that, that breach occurs um, is, is critical. So part of that incident response plan, of course, is knowing who to notify. Uh, at the insurance company or at, within IT. Uh, typically, the most successful plans have a point person at the firm running it. You know, it's typically a CIO type, type uh, position, but somebody who, who's going to run the incident response plan, um, get the forensic people on the phone just immediately to, to triage, if you will, the situation, um, and and then, and then move through the other steps of the legal requirements, the breach coach, uh, plugging the holes, so to speak, so they can't come back in the same way um, because you know i uh, I said at the outset i'm I'm a professional liability attorney that that's my um and and broker I mean that's really my focus um, but man, we spend a lot of time talking about cyber because um, it's it's just so important and and what I've seen is the firms who have a rock solid response plan who can activate uh, that plan in in you know in almost immediate or as close to immediate time as is possible they they typically have the most successful outcomes
0: so, and there's, as it relates to data and security, I know there's a lot of firms who used to have everything on site IT and then, you know, make a backup and take it home with them or do different things. And now there's a migration to the cloud, all are part of their data or, are, are, and the sort of the connotation is, well, it's safer on the cloud. Um, is, is there any, are things safer on the cloud or is it just as risky and, and it doesn't matter really where you keep your data, it can still get compromised?
2: You know, I I think that that it isn't necessarily more or less risky. Uh, it, it's just a little different. Um, you know, it, there is a higher level of security with with cloud, especially cloud storage, especially with sort of the the go to vendors, certain of the vendors that have significant um, security expertise, um, but. There is less visib- visibility. You know, it's out there in the cloud, wherever that is, right? And 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 so um, there, there, there's still, and there's still liability for the firm using that that storage system. And so, um, and and I'm certainly not an expert on all the cloud vendor agreements, but I've certainly seen, um, I've seen many cloud vendor agreements. That have very onerous language in them, indemnification obligations for the firm, um, that, that put a lot of that liability right back on the firm. And so, you know, I, I, I guess I would just caution firms to think, well, we're completely secure now because we're, we're in the cloud, um, because you, you still have the liability and you still need to have the things we talked about the incident response plan. Um, I, again, obviously I'm, I'm, I feel very passionate that, that you should have the insurance as well. Um, so I, 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 th- I don't think it's, it's one or the other. I, I think it's just a different type of storage.
0: All right. So, well, let's, let's, and, and I guess just kind of, we'll play that one out. Let, let, let's let say they're, they're going to a third party you know, uh, cloud storage facility. And I mean, and they get compromised. I mean, you probably don't it's not advertised, but they get compromised. Would they just get back to you to say, Hey, just so you know, your data was compromised, um, but it's not really our problem. And then that triggers a firm to have to deal with this. Is that what will happen?
2: It, it, it can, it can, um, you know, the, and, and we we have seen cloud vendors have have issues um usually the cloud vendor is it's due to a, a criminal attack you know a hacking or malware virus um but yes i mean the you don't you're, you're not able in the, the agreements i've seen anyway Can't can't speak to to this as a whole but the agreements i see you are you're very hard pressed contractually to transfer all that liability to the vendor to where you're able to say cloud vendor, you know, this, you, you allowed our information to be compromised. Um, so you sort of step in and take over for us and tell all the potential um, people, former employees, clients, et cetera, that have been, that could be affected. Um, you take over for us and, and, and take on that responsibility. I, I don't think you can transfer that liability. Um, so yeah. So you're still, if you have that, you have that call uh, from the cloud vendor, that's, that's some access you know, you still, as far as I know, you still have those obligations, most of the time anyway, to, um, to take action because it's, it's your, you chose to store it that way, but it was your information. I mean, it's your obligation to store the information of your clients, employees, et cetera.
0: Right. And you just, I guess that opens up another. So you just, it, it's not just our data and our projects and our current employees and our current clients' data. I mean, it's past clients, it's past employees. And so if there is a breach and say you do have to report, I mean, this can get pretty, there can be a long list of people you have to send notices to and and costs and time involved with that can you i I want to get into some of the insurance protections that are out there and and how there's gaps between professional liability and some of the cyber stuff but what can you just kind of walk through like what does that exposure look like in sort of steps and time and money and people involved
2: sure i mean you're exactly right you you have to think about all former employees former clients i mean anyone that has personal identifiable information or you know, personal health information, if it were an employee might possibly. Um, yes, the, the list <laughs> the list can get long. Um, and the credit monitoring costs in the states that, that would require that, depending on what information had been exposed, um, significant. And in fact, when we look across the spectrum of uh, how these breach costs stack up, Often the notification cost, preparing those notices um, to however many potentially affected individuals is the largest portion of the cost of, of the, the incident, if you will, because, yeah, I mean, that, that's a big, and that's a big part, again, going back to, to what the breach coach does. Number one, prepare those notices but, well, I guess that's number two. Number one would be decide which notices need to be prepared for which potentially affected individuals and then prepare those notes.
0: So, and, then, and this breach coach and the team that maybe helps put together the response plan comes from insurance. Can you talk a little bit about what, what is cyber insurance and how different is it or is it different than professional liability insurance?
2: It is very it is very different. Um, yeah, you know, one thing I, I always like to, to clear up, because I think in some ways, um, cyber liability insurance is almost a misnomer. I, I, I It's privacy insurance, that, that's really what it is. Um, if if someone in the middle of the night were to you know, kick down the door of one of our clients' offices, physically break the door and go in and, you know, to the extent companies have file cabinets anymore, take, take a file cabinet, you know, just out of a... a uh, for it for the sake of a hypothetical you know, that's a breach event that that is a and, and these policies a, an appropriately structured cyber liability policy responds to that event. Um, so that's something I'd just like to say at the outset. but yeah they, they are different so what the biggest biggest thing that I that I would think about is first party and third party coverages and, and what I mean by that is a professional liability policy defends and indemnifies the insured from third party claims of negligence. So, you know, Mr. Engineering firm, you negligently designed our water treatment plant. It cost us a million dollars. We claim that you give us a million dollars to make us whole, right? That just to make it super simple, that's a third party claim. What the cyber liability policy allows you to do is, oh, and I should say in the professional, what triggers the coverage is that claim. Someone claiming, you know, making a demand or suing you, saying that that your negligence caused damage to them. What what triggers a cyber policy is the breach event itself. Um, So in, in a structured cyber program, you have third party coverage, which, again, is like I said in the professional in that the claim would be more like you negligently protected my information and a bad actor got it. So you know, here are my damages, and and yes, that is a very important part of the cyber liability program, and those are covered uh, quite often at a much lower retention than the professional liability would be, right? So even if the, the even if the 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 uh, breach occurred during the performance of professional services, but the first party coverages are really. Where the rubber meets the road, rubber meets the road for, um, for cyber liability. And that allows the insured firm to make its own claim against its policy. So no one is, no client is coming after the firm. We simply see that we've had an event, and we, as the named insured, get to make claims, if you will, against our own policy for network interruption costs, business interruption. We talked about cyber extortion, uh, data restoration and reformation. We, you know, several portions or part of our data has been destroyed or or damaged, help us get that restored. Event management expenses, public relations. I mean, all these sorts of things that that an event, depending on how big or small, um, could trigger and so that that's a big part of it and and again as I mentioned to you the the, the story of leaving the laptop at um, at a cafe I mean I you know the professional liability insurance is there to protect and indemnify you against your negligent performance of professional services if you're at a cafe and you leave your laptop or someone breaks into your you know truck and takes your laptop out of your um, a USB drive or what have you out of your car. Was that in the performance of your professional service? Right. I, I say that because that's a hard. That's probably a hard argument to make. So, um, so this is the type of policy that we use to respond uh, to to that kind of thing. Um, another another thing to keep in mind for the firms. I see a lot of very strict contractual requirements for confidentiality you like
0: client confidentiality. Exactly.
2: exactly. You know, you, and, and, and these are not negligence based agreements. These are, we don't care how it gets out. If it gets out, you know, you owe It's a breach of this confidentiality agreement. Well, again, professional liability is negligence based. Um, if, if you had a bad actor within the firm who was upset with the firm or upset with the client and intentionally released information, there quite likely is no coverage at all in a professional policy, but under a cyber liability policy, remember, it's not negligence-based. It's the breach, or a claim, either. it's the breach itself that triggers the, uh, the policy. So if, if you were to have that, um, I, get, I get far less worried for clients signing pretty onerous contractual requirements for confidentiality of client information when they have this type of coverage.
0: So, I want, I want to talk about the coverage, you know, like who who, who sells it? How do you get it? But, but So, when, when you mentioned it triggers when a breach has occurred, I mean, how do you know a breach has occurred? I mean, unless you get a, you know, the sort of the, um, someone comes in and does a cyber extortion and says, I want X Bitcoin, I mean, day to day, I mean, how do you find most firms realize that they've been breached?
2: It quite often comes in the form of an, you know, some type of IT audit, um, some type of email issue where all of a sudden they're getting a lot of um, suspicious emails, which tells them somebody's been monitoring the system. I've had firms um, that were out on projects and and saw um, standard details and specifications that they've been using for twenty years that show up with a different name on them, right? And they go, "All right." Um, I know what that is. You know, I, I'm a design professional. I, I know that's mine. Now, why is it? You know, why is it coming from over here? Um, now those are those are thank goodness, um, but but yeah, that it can take lots of forms like that. It, it can it can come in a variety of ways, and and so um, no matter how it comes, that that's the why. That's that's why you have to have the incident response plan so you can quickly um, put that together.
0: Okay, so and and so now we're we're doing our insurance renewals. I mean, do most brokers offer you know the the cyber um, privacy protection insurance? I mean, who does? Is there a handful of players, a lot of players who sell it? Now, how how are firms accessing it or finding out about it and accessing it today?
2: Well, as I said earlier, we talk about it. We spend a lot of a lot of time talking about it because. Uh, quite frankly I think if you are a broker in the professional services industry if you are if you are counseling aE firms or law firms CPA firms goodness even more right if you are in the, the space the space of professional services and you are not talking to your clients about privacy issues and cyber liability coverage and what that looks like I, I think you know you have your own exposure there um, because that that's that's how much in our face it is. Um, so we, as just a routine matter, every every renewal we go through, uh, if a firm does not have that coverage, we spend the time to talk to them about it almost every you know, every renewal uh, to let them know that it is our continuing recommendation uh, that this that this coverage be placed. And we have you know just like we've kind of chatted with here today, we have hundreds of examples of why. To your question, I I, I believe that most brokers of any size and sophistication are selling this type of policy. There certainly are a number of underwriters, insurance companies that offer it, but it is constantly changing. Uh, I am fortunate to have a dedicated cyber liability team, a large team that does nothing but focus on this particular space for, for our healthcare clients, our design firm clients, our law firm clients, and on and on. You know, We have a variety of higher education. We have a, a very large specialty practice. And, and the cyber liability guys, um, they are constantly monitoring changes in trends, things we've talked about today, changes in policy forms, changes in coverages, um, because frankly, it's one of those things that, coverage is just trying to keep up with the criminals it's, it's just trying to keep up frankly I, I my my personal opinion i don't think we can i'm not i'm not sure that that's even possible um but um i, I tell clients that I, if you're not reevaluating your cyber program every year it's probably stale if if you did it last year and you just renewed it this year and you didn't nothing changed you know and and that's this is a blanket statement so it's probably a maybe maybe not the right thing to say, but you know, it, there, there's a low likelihood that something should have been changed. Some, some additional coverage should have been added, some additional limit somewhere should have been added on a particular type of exposure. Um, and so I feel, I feel very fortunate that, that we have a team like that, like, like, like other brokers do, I'm sure, um, that, that focus on nothing but that. So, so we're being able to give our clients the, the highest level of sophistication in that guidance.
0: Right. Well, I think that's great advice there. Um, now, as we as we look to to wrap up, is there any other areas of concern? Um, would cyber liability or protection that you think it would be beneficial for AEC leaders to to know?
2: No, I just just know. I, again, I, I would just sort of restate that from the the, the forensic people that I talk to who, who are. Often engaged by AEC, ACEC firms, AE firms. Um, this is happening to all types of firms. Everyone is grappling with this. Um, and and it, you just have to be very proactive about it. You have to really work on having a solid plan. You should take the time to have your broker walk you through the cyber coverages and how things have changed and what they're seeing. Um, because the cost of this coverage is, is rather minimal. And, and even a, you know, a, a $500 million type organization, the, the cost for a, for a pretty substantial cyber liability limit is far less than these firms are paying for professional liability, for employee benefits, um, and, and it's a services insurance as much as anything. Of course it has the defense and indemnity like you want out of an insurance policy, um, but quite often, the biggest relief, and, and in the end, often what you're, you're capping, the amount of damages that accrue, is by having a team to engage immediately. Um, some, some team that deals with this on a regular basis. You know, I, I, tell, I talk to my clients, my AE firm clients, about you know, we want to get high-quality professional liability insurance because we want AE claims people on the carrier side who really know the nuts and bolts of what you do, understand how these claims are handled, you know, have access to the finest design firm, design professional liability attorneys in the marketplace in that particular state to get them to defend the firm. It, it's the same thing in cyber liability. You, you want expert cyber liability breach management claims people at the carrier who do nothing but that. You know, you don't want them where they're part of the time they're doing you know, employment practices claims. I mean, they should be doing nothing but cyber and they should be going to a law firm who does, or at least the practice group of a law firm that does nothing but cyber liability. Um, because again, in theory, a single breach of a system could trigger every single state law. Um, and you've got to have a sophisticated cyber practice that, that automatically has at least with, in the aggregate of the practice knows all those laws. Um, you don't want to be in a situation where you've got, you know, one attorney who's trying to figure out, well, is it a breach in Nebraska, but it's not in Arkansas, you know, I mean, that, and, and so that's why we, we really only deal with the most sophisticated carriers that are really focused and dedicated to, to providing risk management services as a part of the coverage, not just a limit, um, but a suite of services that help the insurer deal with this risk.
0: Well, I, yeah, I, I, and I, I want to thank you for coming on today, spending the time to, to share about this, not just to sort of scare us. I mean, you know, to be able to just lay out some of the risks that are out there, highlight how real they are, but also provide a solution towards of best practices and, and the fact that there is coverage out there and what it looks like and how maybe we can be better consumers of that and be able to ask the questions and in those services available because I mean we are very busy and consumed and this is one more thing that we really have to be worried about as good stewards of our organization and um, and protecting you know our clients and our, and our, uh, and our talent and, and all of those assets of the firm so I, I really appreciate this and how, how can folks get in touch with you and learn more about risk strategies? Sure. Um,
2: well, I'd be happy to have any phone call um, to, to follow up and talk about how we might be able to help. Uh, my, my number in Nashville where I sit, I spend a lot of time on an airplane, but my, my office is in Nashville. Um, and that's 615 760 and my email address is dcrow, D-C-R-O-W, at risk-strategies.com. Um, and we certainly, um, I, w- I would also let you know that check out our website at risk risk-strategies.com um, because our cyber liability team has some uh, very active blog and, and other risk management information in addition to our architectural engineering group we, where we also put out Um, Risk management information of all varieties that affect AEs.
0: Well, excellent. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks, Pete. It was a pleasure to participate with you. All
0: right, take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. It also helps get the word out so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond
1: our organizations. So thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.